From 12 News, this is Newsmakers. Welcome to Newsmakers, I'm Tim White. Rhode Island State Senator Tiara Max TikTok went viral earlier this month when she posted a video of her twerking at a beach on Block Island. In an interview with 12 News Politics editor Ted Nisi, Max says she has no regrets about posting the video, but says she wants to shift the conversation from twerking to policy. Here's Ted's interview with State Senator Tiara Mack. So first, I just want to understand the basic facts around this, because there's been so much back and forth on social mm -hmm. media, as you know. Um, you posted, as I saw, your first TikTok video, I think last week, um, yes. just recently, and you talk on there about your work as a senator, your work on abortion rights. Do you consider it a, a campaign TikTok, a personal TikTok, a mixed TikTok? How do you view the account? Yeah, I think it is a, a mixed-use account. I started the account um, shortly after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, uh, and I saw a, a, a variety of folks uh, who had no source of information, especially in Rhode Island, on what to do next. For many people, it came as a shock that Roe v. Wade was overturned. Some people have been following since the leaked decision earlier this year. But for folks like me who've been involved in abortion um, laws around the country, this has been something that since about like I'd say like three to five years, we have known that uh, abortion rights in our country are, are were very weak. And so we've been working on um, educating folks through those spaces on issues on how to, um, how to protect their communities, what state legislators could be doing if it was overturned federally, uh, like Rhode Island, we really pushed in 2019. And we finally, after 30 years, passed the RPA, which was one step to ensure that Rhode Island would always have access to abortion. Um, but with that, there were still communities who were left out of that access. So I started it to share my knowledge as a state senator, the inner workings of some of the decisions. Um, some examples that I was uh, trying to explain were that uh, Folks were calling for Governor McKee to sign an executive order about an influx of folks who were coming to Rhode Island. Uh, there will be no influx of folks seeking abortion coming to Rhode Island because there uh, just quite frankly isn't the, we don't have the infrastructure in place. And most Rhode Islanders actually go out of state for their services. Oh, I have to admit I didn't know that. That's interesting in and of itself. So the video. Um, yes. For, I'm just curious, was, was it a planned thing? Like, let's go make you know, a fun TikTok video for the the mixed account, the campaign mixed account, or more of just for a moment, you were at the beach, you said, let's do it. Yeah, I was just at the beach having a good time. Um, and I'd been posting, I'm like still very new to TikTok. I am like at the cusp, I just like found out today, like Gen Z starts at like 1997. Mm -hmm. And I'm just a few years older than that. So I don't quite understand it. I don't really get it. Um, so I was still playing around with the platform, still trying to figure out what algorithm to go viral. Um, that was like one of my first videos. I was like, can someone help me like figure out how to go viral and well I guess I did it correctly you, you, you succeeded <laughs> I would say um, what was what was the reaction you were hoping for when you were talking to folks saying all right let's figure out a video that I think will, will get people's interest yeah I was hoping for folks to be activated to come to my page and then share even more information about the state of abortion access and other reproductive health rights trans rights and bodily autonomy on that platform which is what the vast majority of the other videos are. Right, explaining uh, that you're using the policy and how, how things yes. work. So can you walk me through kind of the days after you posted the video and sort of when you realized this is taking on a life of its own. This is not maybe mm -hmm. what you, I assume you weren't expecting 
I should ask probably, but I assume you weren't <laughs> expecting the reaction that has happened in the days since. Correct. I mean, my TikToks are all Rhode Island specific um, because I can, I'm only an expert on Rhode Island politics and Rhode Island law. Um, and so I didn't really expect this to take off globally. Um, and I did not expect it to become like a meme sensation. Um, but I'm glad it sparked a lot of important conversations and it's been able to uplift a lot of the causes that I care about. Uh, the kind of the day after it blew up almost immediately. And that was pretty shocking to me. And I think it was immediately picked up by some right wing folks and my opponent as a, a campaign fundraising tool and from there I think it was the uh, the alt-right troll farm that really uh, manufactured the the craze around uh, twerking tiara so I would say we noticed in the newsroom uh, I would say a generational um, the the younger people in the newsroom generally knew you what twerking was and yeah. sort of recognized what you're doing no matter how they whether they thought you should or not they knew what you're up to I do think uh, Governor McKee said he'd never heard of yeah. twerking. I'm sure there are grandparents who'll be watching the news who just aren't familiar with it. How would you describe twerking to someone of maybe a different generation who is not familiar with it? Yes, so twerking is uh, all the craze these days on the dance floor. There are twerk nights. There is uh, Big Frida, who is a musical artist that just did a song with Beyonce, is known for like having twerk anthems. Uh, so twerking, I believe it came became popular like uh, a few, a few years ago, but it is uh, bending your knees and gyrating your hips, and it is one of the ultimate expressions of like joy and happiness on the dance floor. Um, as someone who likes to go and dance and like get down with my friends, like most people are twerking. <laughs> so you had you had a very wide range of responses, I would say. But one that stuck out to me as I was looking at comments and listening to other interviews you've done and just talking to people was from women and I'd say more often maybe women from older generations mm -hmm. who feel that it's taken a long time and a lot of work to get women to stop being looked at for their bodies and you know looked mm -hmm. at, at their qualifications and professional roles and they see you as you're an Ivy, Ivy League educated woman in a, with, a, with a fairly powerful position I know you tangle mm -hmm. with leadership but you're still a state senator yeah. um, and say you know well this is this can take us back because it could be lead to more objectifying of women or bringing that back what do you say to that specific concern yeah I think it's it's an interesting conversation I've really loved to like dissect that because uh, as someone who has had their body objectified their entire life um, and as someone Someone whose body is literally a topic of discussion at the federal level about whether or not I will have the right to abortion, whether or not trans people will have right to gender-affirming surgeries, or whether or not intersex people will have the right to decline uh, gender-conforming surgeries. Uh, my body has always been a topic of conversation, or black bodies have always been a topic of conversation, um, and I have. I've struggled with the idea that in order to be respected, I have to be fully clothed and buttoned up and I have to be performing in a way that is inauthentic to myself. I have to be performing in a way that society has determined is professional. And so I, I love to challenge that idea that with my Ivy League degree, with my status as a current state senator, I did not receive respect in that building in multiple ways. There was a hearing where we were uh, we were listening to a bill about payday uh, loan lending, and one of the lobbyists who'd been there for a while, I think his uh, name is Bill, um, he interrupted me while I was speaking. Uh, I started crying, 
still he wanted to interrupt me. And that was a level of disrespect and that I had never experienced as a senator with an Ivy League degree. This was on a committee, on you a committee were one of the committee members the asking of. the question. Yes. <laughs> on the uh, Commerce Committee where I'm the secretary, I had someone, a, a lobbyist who felt that they could interrupt me. Mm. A seated senator sitting in the room as the secretary of the Commerce Committee was interrupted by someone. And so it's not about what I'm wearing. It's not about what I'm doing. They wouldn't respect me regardless. I was fighting for my bills for the last two years. I had bills this year that got hearings last year that didn't even get scheduled for a hearing. I fought to, I was working uh, with the Senate president to have a meeting. My meeting was canceled in February and never rescheduled weekly, sent text messages, sent emails, went down to his office and to his secretary to schedule a meeting to talk about the policies that I care about. And they went ignored. And so when people say that I'm not going to be respected for dancing and for uh, flipping upside down, I wasn't respected before then. But now people are listening. And so I think that's the important thing that as a black woman, as a black queer woman, I wasn't respected before this, and now I'm showing people that it wasn't about what I was wearing, it's not about what I'm doing, it's not about the accolades that I have, it's about a system that strategically sets up sets up um, sets up society to believe that women, women of color, young people don't deserve a voice and don't deserve a, a place in a room. And so I'm challenging that. So knowing the reaction now that you had, if someone had told you the day you were making the video, this is this all would happen, would you still made it? I would have, yes. Um, and I think it's, again, it's been so um, exciting and fascinating to dive into these conversations with people and to really challenge their thinking. I, um, I've been having really interesting conversations with my mom, with my peers. I had friends. What did your mom think of the video? Oh, God. So the first day my mom called and she's like, wow. Like, she's like, you should have known better. You should have known this would have, like, blown up. And then the next day my mom says, oh, I see. And I told my mom, like, quite frankly, I was like, mom, we are not having this conversation. They would have not, they would not have respected me. But your mom they, had the reaction that some of yes, the other folks did. did. Your own yeah. mother. Yeah, that's interesting. Yes, my own mother. Um, but I think it's being someone who's full of compassion and love and is an educator. I can understand that pushing the boundaries uh, challenges people and it scares people. Many people haven't seen a leader who isn't afraid to receive criticism and face it boldly and with a smile and turn it on its head, literally. Um, many people haven't seen a leader who will take that type of criticism and be able to dissect it and use it as a talking point for, but I'm a woman and they didn't respect me before this. As a woman with an Ivy League degree who's been fighting for marginalized communities, including our incarcerated individuals, including people who are facing evictions, they didn't listen to those bills. They shut them down, they held them for further study. But now I have a platform because my body was a topic of conversation. And so I think it's, it's challenging people to think, well, we wouldn't have known about Tiara Mac before, but now that we do, what is she saying? Last question, Senator. I would say after this week, you probably have the highest profile of any state senator I cover, at least of the 38 <laughs> of you, you're, you're up there. Could you ever see yourself running for higher office? That's a question that a lot of people have asked. And um, right now, I'm two years into my term, or into my first term, and I, I hope to continue to serve the people of Rhode Island, especially those in District 6, um, for another few years. Um, but I don't know if I see myself um, going higher. There's so much power at the state level. And right now, because of the, the climate that we have at the federal level, and we are reverting many of the decisions back to state rights, we're gonna need stronger municipal governments. We're gonna need stronger state governments. And I think that's where the power is held. We are in a very large country that is uh, clearly divided on lots of issues 
issues that matter. And I think it's up to us to build a grassroots movement within our states and within our communities of like really strong leaders who are fighting for people at the local level and at the state level. So um, I'm not ruling it out. Um, I don't have like a, a glass ball to look into the future, um, but I'm not ruling it out, but I'm not like jumping in and jumping up and saying, yeah, that's gonna be me. <laughs> All right, State Senator Tiara Mack, thanks for sitting down with me. Yeah, of course. When we come back, the political landscape and the governor's race, the second congressional district and more with a political roundtable. Stay with us. You're watching Newsmakers. Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi. And for this political roundtable, we welcome back 12 News Political Analyst Joe Fleming and Target 12 Investigator Steph Machano. All right, crew, let's start with the Democratic primary for governor. And to remind people at home, all the candidates that are in that race, let's bring them up here on the screen. Of course, we have incumbent uh, Governor Dan McKee, Matt Brown, Helena Folks, Secretary of State Nellie Gorbea, and Luis Daniel Munoz. All right, so Joe, a Globe Suffolk University poll three weeks ago shows uh, Gorbea has opened up a small lead Correct. in the Democratic primary over uh, Dan McKee. Gorbea is at 24%, McKee 20%, folks at 16%. Big number, of course, is 31% right. of the voters are undecided. Somewhat similar to our poll that Correct. you conducted for us in May, where McKee had a slight lead over Gorbea, but folks, her profile has risen, and it's no mystery as to why. No, there's no why. question why, due to the fact she's the only one who's on TV advertising between our poll and the Globe poll, mm -hmm. so she went up 10 points. The bigger question, Tim, is simply, when is this campaign going to get into high gear? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never seen governor campaigns being so low-key to the very end. And part of it is because the voters aren't paying attention and more concerned with gas prices and groceries. But the candidates have to get their advertising out there. We're in the summer, you've got less people watching TV now. So they, they got to get moving because they're all going to be on at once and they're all going to get lost in the shuffle. Ted, you and I talk about this all the time. Right before coming into the studio when we decided we we're going to talk about the gubernatorial race, there wasn't a lot to talk about because there's not a lot happening. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm shocked, honestly. Just like Joe, I mean, I, I particularly I have to say of when you look at the big three in the governor's race by Nellie Gorbea and Helena Folks, they're just not contesting the daily news cycle with Dan McKee. You have the governor's office has been scheduling bill signings on a near daily basis. He's get, we're taping Friday. He's going to be in Coventry Day telling them, hell yeah, help fix the Johnson's Pond issue down here. He's signed bills on wind. He's signed bills on uh, immigrant driver's licenses. And I don't, I can hardly remember the last time uh, I can think of one Helena Folks event recently she did with Patrick Kennedy. I can't think of any Nellie Gorbea events um, that have been announced as news conferences lately. So, you know, the, and they say, as Joe said, oh, the voters aren't that interested. They're exhausted from COVID, etc. But the calendar is the calendar. The, the, the clock is not waiting for September 13th. We, the Rhode Island Democratic electorate will pick a governor nominee September 13th, and the time is running short for them to make an impact. And they'll start voting several weeks before then because right. we have early voting in Rhode Island. Right. And I, I've been a little bit surprised that the other, the non-incumbent Democrats have not really been capitalizing on Dan McKee's various controversies. You know, when I moderated that forum a couple of months ago, I thought everyone was going to bring up um, the FBI investigation into the ILO group procurement controversy, and nobody did. And those are opportunities for them to hit the incumbent that they haven't been doing too much. I think they will, though. Yeah. I think they're going to come up in their advertising. I just think these candidates, some of them don't have a ton of money, are waiting so when they go on the air, they don't come down. Do you, they can stay up. But do they go on the air? You're suggesting they're going to go on the air negative. I, well, I think they're going to go on the air positive early and then go to negative as time goes on, depending on what the numbers are. Their poll, if their polling shows us tight, 
they may try to bring somebody down. The problem with the negative is you may attack Dan McKee and bring his numbers down, but you may not bring your numbers up. You might bring Helena Folks's number right. up if Although, you are Nelly Gombert. The question is also who goes negative, right? We still have right. a Helena Folks super PAC raising money that hasn't gone on the air. Dan McKee has historically always gotten Ed Reform money to come in and do advertising for him. Mm-hmm. Nelly Gorbea has Emily's List, which spent a boatload of money in the Massachusetts fourth race, which was so hotly contested two years ago. So it's not just the campaigns. Right. There are some outside groups that could uh, really make their presence felt in well, these weeks. McKee's getting help from an outside group. He already is. That's right. The, the ad people are seeing on their screens right now for Dan McKee is not his campaign. That's the building trades right. uh, who have become, along with the labor, strong supporters of him, the Sabatonis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've, they've, they've got that ad up. And, and at this point, Dan McKee still isn't running an ad of his own from his campaign. Yeah, and that's a classic image ad, mm-hmm. sort of reintroducing right. Dan McKee to the voters. Mm-hmm. And Dan McKee's campaign doesn't have to spend a dime that's on right. any of that. The other problem they have, Tim, is simply that in our poll and the Globe poll, the undecided was very big. That might mean there's going to be less people voting in the Democratic primary come September. So there's going to be a smaller turnout, which could affect the outcome of this race. Yeah, greatly. sometimes undecideds don't go to a candidate. Sometimes right. they just don't show up. Exactly. So meanwhile, Republican Ashley Kalis has been steady Eddie all along. She has been uh, on the air. I saw her at the uh, per, on the parade route at the Bristol Fourth mm-hmm. of July parade. Uh, she was working as every candidate needs to do. It's tradition uh, working that parade route. Could she be the October surprise for the Democrats who are so focused on each other that she's just able to sort of define who she is? through paid media. Absolutely, and I think if she gets a little bit more comfortable on TV, doing interviews, um, and people get to know her better, there's definitely a, a chance that, and mm. listen, we have no public polling yet on how she right. matches up right. with we any of the Democrats, so yeah. we're flying blind on, on how she's doing, but th- she's absolutely a factor and there's no counting her out. It's all name recognition for her right now. All these ads are just trying to get her known. If she didn't do these ads, she wouldn't have a chance after the primary because people want to know it. Now, she's just trying to stay in the mix, get herself known, so after the primary, she goes full steam. And, so and you know, you, you talk to Ashley Kalis's advisors, they know that her first weeks in the race weren't necessarily what they would have preferred. It was mostly about how she had just registered right. to vote in Rhode Island, the weird way her testing contract ended with the state. But she is hiring professional uh, Republican strategists with experience on Capitol Hill who are, you know, this is not being staffed by, you know, the, the junior college Republican interns, God bless them. Um, <laughs> she's bringing in people who know how to win elections, and she will probably have the wind at her back because everything points to this being a great year for How's Republicans. Her fundraising? Uh, I, it looks like it doesn't matter because she seems to have unlimited personal financial resources she's pouring into the race. All right, before we move on to the second congressional district, uh, which I do want to do, let's talk briefly about McKee again and his job approval rating from that, uh, that Globe poll. Uh, of, this was all voters in our poll. We looked at the Democratic primary right. voters. Um, they took a broader look. Um, at uh, registered voters, 40% approval, 38% disapproval, sort of a high undecided, I would say, uh, 22%. But that's a similar approval rating as President Biden is doing uh, in this state right now. Joe, what does that tell us when it comes to job approval? Well, keep this in mind. The numbers aren't great for job approval. But four years ago, Gina Raimondo's job approval numbers were not great in that Channel 12 polls. She had low job approval numbers. I mean, if he had a 40% job approval and he got 40% of the primary vote, He's probably going to be the governor, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Democratic nominee, I should say. But, of course, you always point right. out job approval does not translate does to not. votes. No, it does not. Um, it's something I would be concerned about. He's had over a year as a governor. Uh, I think his stumbles, people resonate more than his positives. That's the problem he's having right now. 
people are remembering the negative things that happened with him instead of his positive things. He has to get his ads out there to stress that and to move his job rating up. All right, Ted, um, as I said, I want to move to the second congressional race. The Globe poll has Democrats very concerned in this one. Yeah, and let's take a look at the numbers the Globe had. This this poll taken now a few weeks ago, but well, this is the candidates actually in the Democratic primary, um, which, uh, we, we, you know, we can talk about that first. So <laughs> we'll start with the primary and then go to Alan Fung, if you could bring it back, Alex. So you have these... Okay, <laughs> Alex, you really uh, keeping you on your toes. Yeah, exactly. Keeping you on I your toes. I have a newborn, Alex. You think I can handle this? <laughs> um, so here we are. This is the Boston Globe poll that we just had. Um, Alan Fung, forty-five. Seth Magaziner, thirty-nine. Almost twenty percent undecided. Seventeen percent. So. You know, on the one hand, people could say, well, Seth Magazine is only six points behind. On the other hand, you have, you know, you have Alan Fung already ahead in a really bad year, potentially, for Democrats. Um, and that has Democrats very nervous. They know Alan Fung has had years to build up uh, his independent image as mayor of Cranston in the heart of the second district. And and I think we were talking about this uh, this morning uh, before we came down. I think, you know, if you think back to when Republicans have done well in Rhode Island, it's usually because they had their own image. John Chafee and then Lincoln Chafee for years and years beat back uh, uh, Democrats with big names like Richard Leach in, mm -hmm. in these uh, Senate races because people said, well, yeah, I might not like the Republicans, but I know John Chafee. I love John Chafee. And Alan Fung has that potential. And if he can win this race, he might be hard to dislodge every two years, even if he always has a competitive election. So I think Democrats are nervous about this year and nervous about letting Alan Fung become the Republican and, in Rhode Island. And Steph, unlike other races, he doesn't have a primary. So he's right. a little, he's, he's like Alan Fung unplugged. <laughs> yes, Alan Fung has been known to not necessarily take a stance on every policy issue, particularly um, when he was running in the Republican primary for governor when he didn't want to go too far to the left of his primary opponent and, and lose the primary. But now he is a little bit more forthcoming with his views. He gave you guys um, a, a little bit more insight into his stance on abortion when he was on Newsmakers last week, which really matters to voters right now. It's a huge issue. Weighed in on climate change. Weighed in on, yeah, he said, I'm one of the Republicans that can say the word climate change. So he's really trying to show that he's moderate enough to win over Democrats and independents, but he also has to, you know, thread that needle to make sure he doesn't lose any Republicans. If we could, Alex, bring up the uh, other, go back to the Democratic uh, candidates in CD2, and I'll go to you with this one, Joe. Magaziner, um, you know, look, he hasn't obviously won the primary, right. but it's less than two months away. He has the most amount of money. He has the highest name recognition. Is there enough time for the others that you see here on the screen to make a run? There's always a chance. It's going to be very difficult, however. With voting starting in five and a half weeks with the early voting, it's going to be very difficult. Magazine has the money to spend. Uh, the other candidates have money, but the question is, can they keep up with Magazine if he starts putting all that money in? It's going to be a difficult thing for him to do. Both polls that came out have him up by over 20 points. That's a lot to make up, even though he's only in the 30s. In a five-way race, it's a lot to make up. And, you know, we haven't seen, you know, all the candidates dropping out and endorsing Magaziner right. in light of that poll showing Fung's strength. You know, we did see the Democratic Party sort of panic. Langevin came out and endorsed Magaziner. But then a number of former Langevin staffers came out and criticized that decision and said that he should have supported Joy Fox, who is his former staffer and... Um, a woman in the race who doesn't seem to be anywhere near exiting. Mm -hmm. um, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah. All right. Stick with you, uh, Steph, because we only have a, a little over, uh, a little under three minutes. Something you've been covering closely, and it's important, is the push to retool the Providence School Committee. 
All members are appointed by the mayor right now. I think it is the only school district in the state that I has think Central appointments. Central Falls also, but yeah, okay. it's one of the only. Uh, right now, there is a proposal to make it a hybrid model, half elected, um, half appointed. Right? That's right. Yep. And this is part of this every 10 year change to the city's charter, which is sort of like its constitution. And there's been this big push to have an elected school board where the public gets to decide um, who's going to be on the board. But on the other side, there's a lot of concern that it would take away the um, subject matter experts that are on the board and the board is also extremely diverse and so there was concern that well what if a bunch of Eastsiders get um, elected to the to the board and it becomes less diverse and more wealthy and so they created this this district system where the the board members would be elected from throughout the city and most importantly the voters get to decide whether or not this is something they want to do there's going to be public hearings um, the week of the 25th where people can weigh in on this before the final language gets put on the ballot this November to decide if Providence is going to do this. And I remember Nick Heeman, when he was still on the school board, he was on a newsmaker's list, him and saying he, he does not like the idea of an elected school board, if I recall. And I think You're one correct. of his points was, as someone who, who was a protege of Buddy Cianci, he said, does Providence really need even more politics to fix its schools? <laughs> yeah. You know, you do hear that yeah. from some folks. Yeah, I brought that up to the council president. I said, do we really need more <laughs> politics in education? And he said, well, what's more political than the mayor picking the, <laughs> the board members? So Igliosi usually has a retort. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, we got to minute left here, Joe. I, I'm going to zoom way out and, and just okay. Biden, uh, uh, President Biden, so unpopular, didn't do great. A, a lot of people in our poll, we're, no. and we're talking Democratic primary right. voters who were open to having somebody else be the nominee. And now the Globe poll shows, same you know, thing. same thing. Yep. When people said when we saw the when they saw our poll that, you know, wow, Biden's only doing that that poor in Rhode Island. And now the Globe show and even nationally, they're showing it. I think his I think his age is hurting him. There's no question about that. People think that, you know, they want somebody younger, they want somebody different. But at the same time, polling shows they don't want Donald Trump either. Mm. You know, they in the New York Times new, poll that yeah, came out. Yeah. They just want two new people to run for president. They and don't I want to see the same two. I right. attributed that to the Globe poll. I meant to say the New York Times poll had Biden not doing right. very great. All right. We only have ten seconds left, so we're out of time. If you missed Ted's interview with State Senator Tiara Mack, that's on WPRI.com. Joe, Steph, Ted, let's do this again sometime. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> we'll see you next week on Newsmakers.